0: Good morning, church family. I wanted to thank Bella and Ava and Eric for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, Josiah is resigned to the leper colony right now. He's on a 14-day quarantine, so it's been great having other members on the worship team step up and lead us. Uh, Grateful for those transformative leaders we're going to continue along. We, we began a conversation last week about our vision frame, where we believe God is calling us to go. And remember, this picture gives us a sense of perspective. So as you look at a picture, you see the foreground all the way to the distant horizon. The distant horizon represents a 10-year vision that the StratOps team believe God's calling us towards, and, and we pray you as a church would adopt as well. That vision is this, we are called to advance God's kingdom on Cape Cod by inspiring, training, and mobilizing transformative leaders. Now on this same graphic, the midground represents a one-year theme. You might remember last year, our one-year theme was generosity and family, and we adopted those two things as values here. this year we're going to focus on transformative leadership. We began that journey by looking at the makeup of a leader in this series, The Master's Plan. And one thing that I hope you took away from that sermon was that you, a believer in Jesus Christ, are called to be a transformative leader. We all are. God has given each one of us influence and gifts that we are called to sacrificially leverage to advance his kingdom. Well, this morning, I want us to go a little further and take a look at the background now. The background is a three-year perspective, and we've identified four key milestones that we believe if we were to achieve these, it would take us toward that distant horizon. Those four milestones are a potential um, update to our facilities, impactful community engagement, young families, and converged Church Planting. Before I talk to you about those, I just want you to know that next week I'm going to be talking to you about the foreground, what's happening right now. And the foreground involves three teams that we've set in motion. We call them win teams, and win just means what's important now. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's look at these milestones the first one, the facility update. Now, as you think about a facility update, you're probably asking the question, what does that have anything to do with transformative leadership? Let me read a quote to you from Winston Churchill that might help you understand that a little better. He said, we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. So however we choose to organize our interior space, the layout of the building has a lot to say about what we do value, what we believe in, and what we want to see God do in this space. We dream about creating a space where people move out of just simply a row mindset to get deeper in relationship with one another into circles. So there's a difference there. In a row, I I, I simply look onward and I receive things. I'm not really having side-to-side interaction, but in a circle— I'm looking at people in the eyes, I'm discussing, I'm talking with them, and hopefully moving deeper in relationship. Now, we want to see those relationships created inside the church, but we also want to create a place here at OBC, this building, where the community feels like this is a place for them too. And we believe God's calling us in that direction. Impactful community engagement. I had a conversation, it was about a year ago, with one of our members, Steve Barney, And if you know Steve, he's had um, national leadership with looking at serving in our country and and how do people get into places of serving. I asked Steve the question about community engagement, and he made this observation. He said, you know, churches tend to only engage the community through gestures. And what does he mean by gestures? Well, we do things in the community— but we don't tend to do anything in the community that actually makes a meaningful difference. So what do we need? Well, we need insights that lead to impact so that the church can have influence, and that's what we would love to see. Young families. We believe that young families represent the next generation. Some of us might say, well, uh, Does that leave me out if we're just going to try to reach young families? And the big answer to that question is no. We don't want to be a homogenous church where everyone's the same age. We strongly believe in intergenerational worship. But we want to see God bring in more young families to our church so that we have the opportunity to inspire, train, and mobilize the next generation of transformative leaders. Finally, Converge Church Planting. When I first started as senior pastor here, this has been something that God's been putting on my heart, and I talked about church planting. Now, at that time, I'm just going to be honest, I really had no idea what all that entailed and involved. But the more that I have explored it, and as we formed our relationship with Converge, I've come to realize that it truly is so necessary. Because the local church is the missional engine of the gospel. Now think about more churches in New England. What would that mean? Well, that would mean more glory given to Jesus, more lives transformed, more missional impact. But another thing that I've come to realize is that that's not something that you can do all by yourself as a church, particularly a church our size. Well, how do you get there then? You partner. You partner with like-minded churches who want to leverage their resources together. So friends, this is not all happening tomorrow, of course. This is three years. These are milestones that we would hope to see in three years. But I believe that together, aligned as a church, we can head in this direction and see God do great things. Let's move along in our sermon series, The Master's Plan. Last week, we looked at the makeup of the leader This week, I want us to look at the tunnel vision of a leader. Tunnel vision, of course, is when you fixate on something, a goal or something else. My wife, whether through verbal or eye rolls, tells me that I tend to get tunnel vision. Now, She's not wrong with that. I fixate on things. I love getting on to a goal or a project or something like that and advancing it as far as I can. And then once I've taken it there, then I lose all interest in it and I move on to another goal and I advance that one with tunnel vision. That can be a strength and it can also be a weakness. Here's the thing. There can be healthy tunnel vision and there can be unhealthy tunnel vision probably going to step on a couple of toes here, but I would submit to you that an unhealthy form of tunnel vision is overplanning. Overplanning. You know, have you ever met that person who overplans their vacation? I mean, they are just so focused on every minute and second of the entire vacation that there is no room for spontaneity. And I would say that they've planned so much that they plan to leave out one really important thing. I call it Fun. That's right, no fun. Now that's just my opinion, but I think a lot of you agree. However, I love when my pilot has a very healthy tunnel vision. I love when my pilot looks at the landing site and does not see a sea of opportunities. I want my pilot to look at that landing site and say, I only land on clear runways. Except for in the case of emergencies, I do not land in rivers. I do not land in grassy fields. I do not land in places where cars are driving. Only, only clear runways. You see, transformative leaders need to know the difference between unhealthy tunnel vision and healthy tunnel vision. We've all seen unhealthy tunnel vision turn churches into toxic places. People overly fixate on the style of music. Or or they they fixate on that one special program, you know, the program where when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, God gave him that particular program and then he came down and he told Israel about it. And now 2,000 or 3,000 years later, we're still running that program. Or they fixate on that line item in the budget that represents their pet project. And so they're willing to vote no to the entire budget because there's that one thing that they have tunnel vision for, unhealthy disunifying. But I would also say that if a church doesn't have a healthy tunnel vision, that can also lead the church in a wrong direction as well. Did you know that Jesus had tunnel vision? He did. In fact, we're going to take a look at his tunnel vision in the gospel of Mark for just a minute. Open your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 1 verses 35 and onward. Now, it's interesting At this point in Jesus' ministry in Mark, he is just beginning. He's really an obscure figure at this point. But he quickly catapults into a place of fame. It's right after his baptism, and to use Mark's favorite word in the Gospel of Mark, immediately Jesus starts doing things. He goes to a synagogue and he casts out a demon. And then he goes to Peter's hometown, Bethsaida, And there Jesus heals people, men and women, from morning until evening. He starts drawing a crowd. So we pick up at verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Now here's the thing. He's becoming a big deal. And so the disciples, they they do what anyone does when there's there's some momentum. Let's sink down our roots right here. Let's set up shop. Look, the Twitter page is going nuts. YouTube people are subscribing right now. They're hitting the like button. We've got to keep going with this thing. But Jesus has another idea altogether. So we pick up at verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. In 2000, Jim Collins wrote a a leadership book that really took off. It was called Good to Great. You might be familiar with the title. And one of the pivotal statements that he said in the book was, he said, good can be the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great, meaning sometimes even good things can distract us from pursuing truly great things. And what I love about this passage is Jesus understood this principle some 2,000 years before Jim Collins ever noticed it, Helping people in Bethsaida, healing people in Bethsaida, that's a good thing, right? No one's going to argue with that. But Jesus refused to get tunnel vision around a smaller cause because he had tunnel vision for the greatest cause of all. See, we live in a lost world, a world where people, if they don't find their way back to God, are going to be eternally separated from God. And Jesus knew this. Imagine the consequences had Jesus decided to set up shop there in Bethsaida. Imagine if instead of doing what he did, training and inspiring and mobilizing transformative leaders, Jesus instead decided to go find a publisher and write that best selling book, Healing and Faith. And then he becomes this worldwide phenom for a short time well, we wouldn't be here today, would we? You see, transformative leaders know that tunnel vision around the right mission is healthy. And that mission helps us to say no to the good things so that we can say yes to the great things. Well, what is mission? It's talked about a lot, isn't it? Any organization, business, institution, nonprofit organization has a written mission statement. I think most basically, a mission statement is something that we set out to do. So, this is what we do as opposed to these things because we feel that there's great purpose in pursuing this. Now, I want to suggest to you, though, that the Christian understanding of mission is uniquely different than the secular understanding. Why is that? Well, we see a a key insight as to why Christian mission is different in John 20, 21. Jesus said this in that passage, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you.'" You hear that? Jesus was sent, And now he sends his transformative leaders. So in this passage, we learn that our mission is a continuation of his mission. Now, not in every way. There were certain aspects of Jesus' mission that were unique to the Son of God, right? Uh, I can't die on the cross and bear the sins of the world, can I? That's uniquely Jesus' job. But I do have a part to play. And we come to understand more about this Christian mission when we see that word send. Uh, The verb send in the Greek is apostoloi. When you take it over to the noun, an apostle is a sent one. So biblically speaking, we can only understand our mission by realizing this, I have been sent to accomplish a crucial task. It's not a mission of my own making. It's a mission that has been hand-delivered to me by my master. And that's an essential realization. I love all the leadership books out there. They've helped me greatly. But they tend to look at mission as something that is self-determined. It's my own measures of success that I'm seeking to achieve or some form of personal values that I have organized or created for my life. But the transformative leader says, no, no my mission comes to me from my master and is understanding that mission that i have to be crystal clear i have to have tunnel vision so what was his mission well kevin DeYoung writes that mission is not everything we do in jesus's name nor everything we do in obedience to christ mission is the task we are given to fulfill it's what jesus sends us into the world to do and the best place to look for that mission is the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. You see, in that statement, Jesus frames the mission with four verbs, but not all four verbs are created equal. One of the verbs stands out as the main verb. It's the imperative, make disciples. So let's consider that definition of transformative leadership, but let's add to it now. We are called to sacrificially leverage our God-given influence and gifts to make disciples who make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Well, Jesus gives us three more verbs on how we do that. Go, baptize, and teach. Go indicating that I have to actually physically move myself to go into the places where lostness exists. Baptize is the idea that when we witness that miracle of a person placing their faith in Jesus, repenting of their sins, coming into a right relationship with God, and then submitting to the lordship of Jesus in baptism, that that person has committed their life wholly to him. Teaching takes us even further than the idea of just simply winning people to Christ. Because he wants us to not make converts, he wants us to make what? Disciples. And what are disciples? They're doers, they're learners, they're followers, or even better or best, we could say, they're apprentices of Jesus. Now, you might remember last week we we took a close look at Jesus's method for making disciples. We saw that his method had to do with association. He walked with them, he ate with them, he laughed with them. So, Jesus's method for making disciples was relationships grounded in truth and love. And this is the same method that Paul applied. When you look at Paul's message to Timothy in 2 Timothy, it's really relational look at what he says he says you however have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it so that's the core of the mission transformative leaders make disciples. How do they do that? They get into relationship with people and they teach them how to know and follow and love Jesus. I want to move from the idea of the mission now and to talk about, well, how how do we, what kind of crucial steps can we take to get on this mission with Jesus? And I see two crucial steps that everyone needs to take. The first is that I need to align myself with a gospel church that is on mission. The second thing I see is that I need to discover my special assignment on that mission. So let's talk about aligning first. If you've been around the church world for any time, any length of time, you've asked the question, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we doing? Right? I've been the senior pastor of this church and I've asked that question sometimes because frankly it can be like herding cats, right? Everybody's got their own little program and passion and they're all running around and doing things. We're really busy. But then we get down to it and we say, are we all like actually aiming in the same direction? It's a good important question. It's a really important question when you're considering joining a church. Why do I need to ask that when I'm joining a church? Well, let me ask you, why should you join a church? Is it because of the preaching, the music? Like, I really like how good the worship team is. Does it have to do with the programs that are there for the children? I think if we're being biblically minded, we're joining a church to partner in Jesus's mission for making disciples. That's why I'm a part of this church if we didn't want to make disciples at this church, I don't think I would want to be at this church. But if we're interested in making disciples, then this is where I want to be. You know, few churches, or, or most churches say they care about discipleship or it's important to them, but few churches are willing to bet the farm on discipleship. Uh, one pastor suggests that we fall on either end of a spectrum There's either the great commotion, creating unending spiritual programs for people with the belief that it will automatically lead to discipleship. Essentially, we like to fill up people's spiritual calendars. Or, on the other hand, there is the great omission, doing nothing related to discipleship. Well, how how does a church bet the farm on discipleship? Well, I think three things matter. The first thing that matters is the mission statement. The mission statement represents the core of what we intend to do or set out to do. Now, our mission statement, worship, transformation, mission, I would suggest to you is a discipleship pathway. A person moves from worship to transformation to mission. We begin at worship because at worship there needs to be a fundamental change of the heart. I need a a realignment. Uh, I need to change my allegiances even better. Or at the beginning, my allegiance is to myself and to my plans and to my priorities. But when I place my faith in Jesus and trust Him and start following Him, He becomes the leader of my life. That's worship. And I move from worship to transformation, which means I'm growing to look more like Jesus. But I want to suggest to you today that you can't grow to look more like Jesus outside of Christian community. You can't do this by yourself. You look at all the passages in the Bible that talk about growth And they require Christians to utilize their spiritual gifts and for you to use your spiritual gifts. You also see those one another passages like love one another and build one another up. Well, you can't one another all by yourself. You need people. Finally, mission is transformative leadership. It's sacrificially leveraging my God-given influence and gifts to advance his kingdom by making disciples. Secondly, group life matters. If I need other believers to grow, then it would be important that, again, I move out of just simply associating with people in rows to having community with people in circles. Discipleship is relational highly relational i need to be in the context where i'm looking eyeball to eyeball with people where someone's coming in maybe they're a younger believer and and they're starting to express their understanding of the scriptures and they don't have to have it all right because everyone starts somewhere right so circles god willing are communities of grace as well where people can come along and learn and develop as god leads them It's a place where we pray for one another, where we hold one another accountable. Let me ask you, do you want to bet the farm on discipleship? Well, if you do, a big part of that is joining the group life of the church. It's getting involved in a Thrive community, in an Activate Men's group, in women's Bible study. And as you, as you get into the body life of the church, you'll see that God uses other people significantly in your life to grow you. Thirdly, membership matters. You see, when you join a church, when you become a member, you're saying to that church, I want to be on mission with you. You're not saying I want to spectate as you guys go about your mission. You're saying I want to partner in this. I want a significant part in this. I want to be used by God to advance this mission. And we've got these classes going on right now. Um, if you didn't join today because you're here right now listening to this sermon, that's okay. You can still contact the office if that is on your heart. I've got to tell you, friend, now's the time, though. Don't just keep waiting and spectating. Join the mission. Become a part of it. Because transformative leaders align themselves with a gospel church on mission. Finally, I want us to see that they also discover their special assignment. Let me read this uh, quote from Reggie McNeil that might help you to better understand your special assignment. He writes, great spiritual leaders understand that their mission is not something that they invent. Rather, they realize that their life mission is something they discover. Great leaders discern a divine pattern for an intentional path to significance and fulfillment. These gifts and clues are interrelated. Together, they form a picture of the leader's mission, the one that guides his life's effort, much the way an image on the box of a jigsaw puzzle helps the puzzle worker know what to look for and to see how the pieces of the puzzle fits together. Well, to, to understand your calling Reggie McNeil lends these questions to us, and so let's consider them. What people or cause do you feel drawn to? And, and what do you want to help people do or achieve or experience? How do you want to help people? What message do you want to deliver? How do you intend to serve or have an impact on the world? Why did you say yes to God to begin with? As you think through those questions, remember that whatever my special assignment is, your special assignment, it's a submission that is a part of the greater mission. So maybe my special assignment is to be involved in the community in some way, helping others or to do an overseas mission in Africa or someplace like that. But whatever it is, it must never be divorced from making disciples. My submission serves the purpose of the greater mission. So how, what, how do I get clues to this? How do I grow to understand what this mission is for me. Well, let's begin with one thought. The first clue I think that God gives us is our passion. Your passion is emotional. It's what you feel. It's those things that you involve yourself in and you say, you know, this is really worth my time. And I'm not just doing this to check a box. I'm doing this because I feel motivated around it. It's that thing that you would even say, this is worth dying for. You hear the passion of the Apostle Paul in Philippians when he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's deeply felt, isn't it? He feels the mission that Christ has given him. Over the years, I've watched believers who have that passion, and I've seen other believers who are stuck because they have no wind in their sails. When someone first starts walking with Christ, if you don't take that young believer quickly and put them in the context of spaces where transformative things are happening, like small groups or reaching other people, they can quickly get into a place where they're just cranial with their Christianity. I've also seen people who have been a part of the church, and passion is a past tense word for them. I had it, not anymore how do you get back to that place of passion? Well, I would suggest to you that it requires courageous decisions, sometimes a series of hard decisions. For some people, maybe it was related to their work life and they advanced up the chain, but for whatever reason, when they were promoted from this level to this level, they lost contact with the passion because at this level they were interacting with people and up here they were making decisions from an office. For those people, maybe the courageous decision is to say, you know what, I need to go back to the place where I felt passionate. I've seen other ministry workers who, for whatever reason, the demands and distractions of life, they, they found themselves out of serving in that place that made them feel passionate. So the hard decision then is to go back into your personal world and ask, what do I need to say no to right now so I can get back to that and to serve out of a place of passion? The second clue that I believe God gives us is your talent. How is talent a clue? Well, your talent's a clue because God gave you that talent, right? I mean, everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you can do, every good gift and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights, right? James 1.17. So the talent, when I discover whatever it is, God's telling me something. He's telling you something when you're good at crunching numbers. He's telling you something when you're good with administration or you have this unique ability to connect people with one another. God wants you to look at your talent, and he wants you to use it for the sake of his glory. It's taken me some time over the um, course of my ministry to realize that it's really important actually to operate out of a place of strength as I try to serve God. I love what Reggie McNeil says. He says that your best shot at making your greatest contribution in the world is for you to get better at what you're already good at. Instead of focusing on weakness, focus on improving strengths. Remember, your strengths are also your needs, meaning that you need to develop and use your talent in order to experience deep satisfaction at an emotional and spiritual level. A final clue I believe that God gives us is our personality. Who you are, what you're like, what your style is. Some of us love the details, not this guy. Others of us like to make decisions from the 40,000 foot level, this guy. But Here's the thing, don't read too much into your personality. You can kind of pigeonhole yourself sometimes and say, I can't do certain things because of my personality, like I can't be an upfront leader because I'm an introvert. That's not true. There's been plenty of really, really, really good leaders who are introverts. But our personality, our wiring, does tell us something about who we are. So as you think of all of those factors together, the most important thing that you can do with some of those realizations is then to humble yourself and go and talk to someone who you know loves you and wants something for you in this life and ask them, What do you think? What do you think I'd be good at? What kind of special assignment do you see that God could be giving me? I've watched a lot of people be frustrated over the years because. They didn't have that conversation. They get into a place where they're starting to use their gifts and they're practically pulling their hair out. It is just not working for them. And then someone over on the side says, Well, I could have told you that. And you look over at that person and you say, Why didn't you tell me it? And it's like, You didn't ask. You didn't ask. Well, as we close, I want to leave you with a letter. From a member of the church, a transformative leader who I believe God has helped him to find his special assignment. He's Gary Brennan, and he shared his story here before. This is what Gary wrote He said, Tomorrow, January 11th, will mark seven years since I suffered a traumatic brain injury as a result of an auto accident. I had held former leadership roles in our former church in Norton, Mass. And as a result of my injuries, I could no longer fulfill those roles. But as time and healing occurred, God opened doors of ministry for me that at one time I would not have chosen but now enjoy thoroughly. My flock is the brain injury community, especially a small support group that I lead. There was a time when I thought that I performed real ministry within the walls of the church, when we were first getting to know each other, I expected you to ask me what I could do in the church. Instead, you encouraged me to do what I was doing in the community, that I had a unique, God given role that only I could fulfill. I don't read that letter to you to toot my horn. I, I actually find it remarkable that Gary basically sent me the message, preached the message. Why is he sending this to me? Because he's a transformative leader. He understands what his special assignment is. And as you think about developing your tunnel vision for the mission, how do you get to that place? Well, I think it begins with a heart for others. And then it's developing a, a tunnel vision for discipleship. Wherever you're committing your time and your energy, make sure that it has something to do with people and Christ's mission. And finally, then you take that and you sacrificially leverage your God-given influence and gifts to advance the mission. Let me pray for you right now because this is the kind of thing that gets us thinking. And I want to pray that God will help you discover your special assignment. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for each member here in this church. And I I pray that you would help us to be a community that every member has a special assignment and we understand it and we're using our gifts and our abilities for the sake of your glory. Lord, I pray that as we get on mission that we will form deep and and impactful relationships with others, that we'll see lives transformed. That's what it's all about We used to use an expression around here a lot, Lord. Change lives, changing lives. And that's what we want to do. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.